Hey tennis fans and welcome to another edition of Matchpoint Canada, the official podcast of Tennis Canada. I'm Ben Lewis, joined alongside Mike McIntyre. And uh, Mike, it was a special two weeks in Miami. We saw Canadian Bianca Andrescu reach the fifth final of her young career, uh, falling to Ash Barty. Obviously, we're going to do a full recap of that match. And also, you had a chance to speak to son of legend Jimmy Connors, Brett Connors. So uh, looking forward to that conversation as well. Yeah, it was great to have Brett on the podcast. I mean, you and I spoke with his dad, uh, Jimmy, obviously last summer, which was a, a personal highlight for us and, and one of our most popular episodes to date unsurprisingly and so uh, cool to have his son on to talk about what it was like growing up as as Jimmy's boy and uh, and his involvement in the world of tennis even though he's not a pro player he's very close to the game um, and and he's a huge Bianca Andreescu fan so uh, fantastic to talk to him about her big run which you know again man uh, it's it's surprising it's it's surprising how she surprises me so often <laughs> even though she's so supremely talented but I think it was just the 15 months away from the tour and here she is in just her third tournament back. I wasn't giving her enough credit, I guess, that she could pull this off so soon in the uh, the comeback. Yeah, I mean, look, this is just her, her third tournament of the year, right? Since that 15-month hiatus. And I don't know, I think we're guilty of this sometimes in, in the tennis sphere of having like short-term memory of almost forgetting how incredible a player is. And I was just reminding myself, like, when we did watch Bianca in 2019, she did so much winning. She was winning kind of nonstop. And we got a taste of that again, more than a taste in Miami, uh, her run to the final. And it wasn't just, you know, winning five matches to get to the final. It was the route that she took to do it was was extraordinary. I mean, she started and she beat a qualifier in two sets. But after that, you're thinking, OK, here's a major test against young American Amanda Anisimova, who's obviously like a fast rising star this will be difficult. She pulls that off in three sets. Then I was thinking, you know what? This is already a good result for her. She faces Garbina Muguruza, who's leading the WTA tour in wins this season, has a title, has been to three finals in 2021, overcomes her rallying from a set down. Then Sarah Cerebes Tormo. I, to me, honestly, that match against uh, the Spaniard who just tracks down everything with her remarkable remarkable court coverage to me that was the match of the tournament she survives that one then maria sachary of greece she's down four two in the third she's down six five in the third set on the brink on multiple occasions and still finds a way past the semifinal and she she wins it um early in the morning in florida 1 35 a.m eastern time to get to the final finally succumbs of course to uh ash barty and i i know it it was an underwhelming final and maybe a sad one to see her kind of go out with that injury and obviously when that happens we have the giant fear like oh gosh not again here but we go again yep. exactly but I, I i really just didn't want that to be the takeaway from what we saw from bianca over the two weeks in miami yeah, and I, I don't think it, it will be. I mean, she spent a ton of time on court grinding through those matches, just relentlessly coming back in, in some of them. And, and we spent, uh, you know, an incredible amount of time watching her as well, and, and tennis fans did too. And, and it was great to see that Canadian tennis Twitter contingent sort of alive and well again, you know, mm -hmm. getting behind Bianca, something that we haven't been able to do, that they haven't been able to do, her fans, in such a long time. And you know, recency, I don't think any of us have forgotten what a fantastically talented player she is. It's just the fact she took so much time away and she's reminded us again, hey guys, I can have a layoff. I can be out with injury and come back and pick up where I, I left off like she did after winning Indian Wells, missing the clay court and the grass court season, then coming back to win Rogers Cup US yep. Open. And, and here she is again after a, a much longer layoff and dealing with the pandemic and dealing with her coach getting COVID early this year and, and having to be hard quarantined as well. And man, again, three tournaments in, I did not see this coming at this stage. Like you said, given the quality of the players that she was facing, especially in Muguruza, I thought, mm -hmm. okay, this is a, a huge ask. And, uh, and what she did and how she turned the tables in that match. And again, how she can sort of learn on the fly and adapt and evolve to her opponent uh, is just, again, one of those things that's so incredible about Bianca. There's the plan A, B, C, D, E, F. You know, you can go through the alphabet in terms of how resilient she is and how you can never, ever count her out, as Maria Zachary learned as well in their first career meeting. Um, just fantastic. So Bianca doesn't take the easy route. You know, all those three-set matches, that, that sort of has been continuing. Yeah. Um, 
And it is unfortunate that it had to end with a final uh, where she couldn't complete it. Uh, and it kind of made you think of when Serena couldn't finish against her at the Rogers Cup, albeit this one went deeper than, than that match in Toronto a couple of years ago. Um, you know, you can sort of elaborate on, doesn't look like it's a super serious injury, more precautionary at this point. And, and thank goodness she's kind of learned a lesson in that regard, not to push it too hard in those moments. Yeah. And look, she gave credit to her fitness coach afterwards in press because Bianca, I think we know her self-determination and her belief on the court. She doesn't want to stop. Um, So we can push that thought aside that, oh, she's quitting because she's behind. Like I I saw a few people claiming that. And to me, that's the most ludicrous thing I've ever heard. That's that's not Bianca. It's not in her DNA to think that way. In fact, I still think even after she rolled over her ankle and foot that she was still thinking, how can I fight my way back in this match but it was her fitness coach on the side who encouraged her like you got to pull the plug here and that's obviously related um to her injury history and and what are you pushing this for we we don't want to risk another further setback i was happy to see that she did post on instagram saying like guys my injury is is not serious um but I will be missing the Billie Jean King cup. And uh, just, just so everybody knows that is right around the quarter for Canada. They're going to take on Serbia in a playoff April 16th and 17th. That would be a very quick turnaround. I think after hurting your foot and ankle area to suddenly be back on court competing in a, a Billie Jean King cup playoff just under two weeks later. So totally understand. Of course, she's not going to travel there, but uh, she says she's going to be ready for the clay court swing. Yeah, and, and a good a good sign that she's speaking up and, and sharing that on social media, yeah. because I think one thing that her fans kind of lamented about, you know, during 2020 is, hey, we're not hearing anything from Bianca or her team. There's kind of radio silence. Right. That makes us nervous. We don't know what's going on. So for her to come out and get ahead of things and, and share that is very uh, encouraging. And, um, you know, also we should touch base here on just Ashley Barty and this incredible story, you know, so much talk about, well, you know, she's had that number one ranking, but is it fair? Cause she hadn't played in so long mm-hmm. and it's kind of the new rules, the frozen rankings. Uh, does she really deserve it? And she comes out, you know, another player like Bianca who hadn't played in a heck of a long time, albeit for different reasons, more of her own choice not to travel during the, uh, you know, the, the beginning stages and first, first year, I hate to say that, but first year of the pandemic, And here they are, both of these players who are back and showing us just how much they bring to the sport and just, you know, what what fantastically talented, supremely talented players they both are. And and Ash Barty proved this week why she's the number one and with some big, big victories under her belt as well this week. Yeah, she was uh, she was fantastic as well. The the word that comes to mind, I think, when I watch Ash Barty play is versatility. And there are kind of similarities in that sense to her and Bianca's game that they both possess a lot of variety on the court. They can change the rhythms. They can change the structure of how they play and and offer different game plans. But uh, you look at the way she navigated through this tournament. For me, the hardest matches that she faced actually were round of 16 and quarterfinals because round of 16. Uh, Vika, Victoria Azarenka, who is such a dangerous player. We saw what she was doing, you know, last year, making U.S. Open finals, uh, winning Cincinnati. So she wins that 6-1-1-6-6-2, kind of a topsy-turvy match that she gains control of. Arena Sabalenka, to me, is one of the most dangerous hardcore players and one of the best players in the world as well. She beats her in three sets and then really kind of outcrafted Svitolina uh, in straights before beating Bianca in the final. But uh, I, I should note this as well. I almost forgot in her first match uh, against Christina Kukova, she was a match point down actually um, in that match in the third, she was a match point down, save that match point kind of in a pressure situation comes through seven, five in the third. And then maybe she felt like she was sort of playing with house money after that, because uh, just kind of works her way through the tournament and gets to this final. And uh, that's now, you know, 10 W. WTA titles for Barty and I think the most impressive thing to me about these 10 WTA titles is they're across all surfaces so you know we don't see Barty and say like well she's a hardcore player it's like oh well she won that French Open she's a clay court player it's like well she's grass and she, she's done it on all surfaces um, and I, I think she's going to be a very potent threat with the French Open around the corner too yeah well said and uh, it's making me think I can't wait to see Bianca play on those other surfaces because we absolutely seen that in I know a long time yeah uh, seeing her on clay courts which you know she said to us back in the day 
was her favorite surface. I don't know about that anymore, if that holds true, but she's definitely comfortable on it. And to see her on grass, uh, I'd love to see her game out there as well. So, you know, looking forward to seeing, and, you know, we're on the cusp of the clay court season now. It's, it's starting up really in, in many ways. So yep. um, hopefully going to get to see her in, in plenty of tournaments and Ash Barty as well. And I'm just looking to see the WTA get into a sort of rhythm that it couldn't get into in 2020 because of a lack of opportunities and a lack of tournaments. And, uh, you know, you miss seeing the, the women's game being, uh, you know, highlighted and showcased on a regular basis. Definitely. And I, I think we're going to have some some great storylines to look for for the clay court swing, which is going to be really exciting on the WTA side. Like the fact that Muguruza, for one, is playing amazing tennis. She's won the French Open before. Um, what will Simona Halep do when she's healthy again? Naomi Osaka and her quest to kind of take the next step on clay. All these great players. I, I think it's going to be a very open, dynamic field. And uh, Iga Sviantek trying to defend a title. Like there's a lot to look forward to in that sense. Um, I did want to discuss a bit more on Bianca in the sense that obviously you know, sad ending for her to retire. Also just difficult to see her in tears on the court. And uh, you understand the emotions. And uh, I was impressed afterwards and she was still emotional about that. And she was actually asked like sort of why the emotions kind of got the best of her in, in that moment. And I just wanted to play a clip back of, of what she said there. I'm definitely a type of person to wear her emotions on her sleeve and I'm not afraid of that. To me, it's more of a strength because I'm being who I am. I am who I am, and I'm not afraid to show that, and I think that shows a lot of people that they can do the same because a lot of the times uh, people say, oh, if you show your emotions, it's a weakness, but to me, it's not. It's how I express myself. I'm a very expressive person, and... It's helped me win. Like that's that's how I win on top of a lot of other things. So there you have it, Andrescu kind of acknowledging that she wears her heart on her sleeve and um, basically saying it's helped her win in the past. Uh, we, we see these kind of emotional roller coasters of, of you know, her personality in a tennis match. And it does help her. I think she she can't be kind of she has a very different personality than, say, Layla Fernandez. And I, I think both kind of work in their own way. Layla is being herself on the court, which is the laser-like focus, not really expressive, emotional type of player. And then Bianca, I think, needs to fire herself up with those expressions to, to really get herself going, which is yeah, interesting. It's true. They're both ultra competitive. Yep. And they just show it in different ways, display it in different ways, motivate themselves in different ways. But neither of those players, Bianca Andreescu or Leila Annie Fernandez, would ever like mail it in. You would no. never see either of those players just sort of shrug it off. I'm having a bad day. Forget it. I'm not going to push through it or find a way to, you know, both of those women are um, super competitors. And I, I think that's something that endears them, not just to Canadian fans, but, you know, um, tennis fans all over the, the world is the fact that these are two players that will not give up and are giving it 110% every time they step out on the court. Not every player is like that. And, you know, regardless of who you're a fan of, I, I think every tennis fan would love their player, whoever they support, to show that type of competitive spirit that uh, we get from our two young Canadians. Yeah, I, I think it resonates uh, with people and people have been uh, bringing up the comparable to me. And I see it in some ways uh, for Bianca that for some, she reminds them of Rafael Nadal and his competitive spirit, which is something I think that stands out and resonates with people when they watch him play, that he's like, this guy will not give up. <laughs> and uh, Bianca is of that same mold. Lele is as well. Uh, and and they, of course, have different personalities. Um, I, I did want to add one other clip just uh, before we move on here about her decision to retire from the match because she was asked about that and, and clarified the reasons right here. No one wants to end a tournament retiring, especially in the finals. But things happen, and I want to look ahead in my career. I'm only 20, and I'm not trying to risk anything right now. I already have a couple years ago, and I didn't want to make that same mistake again. So I'm proud of myself for that because I'm super resilient um and 
for me to do that today took a lot. Uh, so there you have it, Bianca Andrescu post-match. But uh, another final, now five in her career. She's just 20 years old and missed the entire 2020 calendar season. So obviously we're super excited to see what's to come uh, with the clay court swing. We do have a guest this week, as we mentioned, and uh, he's part of the Advantage Connors podcast. Of course, we, we had Jimmy on last season, which was amazing. Uh, but Mike, you got a chance to speak with Brett Connors this week. And I know you guys covered Bianca as well. Yeah, I mean, it's funny because um, I, I was planning on talking mostly about his podcast and relationship with his dad and that sort of stuff. And he wanted to talk about Bianca right away. And he had been messaging me throughout the week, sort of ahead of each of her matches, trying to find out, you know, what do I think about who she's up against and how that matchup is going to sort of play out. And uh, and the funny thing is, you know, he was asking me out of curiosity, but also because he was looking to put a little bit of money down on uh, our Canadian star as uh, both him and his, his old man do enjoy gambling on not just tennis, but other sports as well. And when you look at their Advantage Connors podcast, which, by the way, you can find on Twitter at ADV Connors, um, it says right here, you know, follow as they cover the world of sports, life, gambling and more. So they put it right out there that sports betting is definitely something that they're both into. And uh, I like the podcast because it's not just a one dimensional, uh, you know, one trick pony podcast. They talk about all sorts of different things. And, you know, with Jimmy's contacts in the sporting world, uh, I mean, Mike Tyson was their first ever guest that they had, which is, uh, you know, a pretty big deal to, to have in terms of, uh, you know, his iconic status in boxing. Um, me personally, I, I don't put money down on tennis very often at all. And the few times I ever have hasn't really gone well for me. Um, so I just kind of stay clear. Plus, you know, with the Toronto mortgage and three kids, what money do I have to gamble anyways? That's right. Um, but yeah, Brett was pretty open about it. And it's interesting. He said to me that Bianca is a fantastic player to bet on because even if she's down in a match and all of a sudden the odds swing in her opponent's favor, you know, she's going to keep going and then it could easily swing back her way. That's a, that's a very good point. Uh, but well, w- without further ado, we'll listen to your interview uh, with Brett Connors. I'm uh, happy to welcome to the podcast today, Brett Connors, who works in tennis production for Tennis Channel at tournaments around the world and is also the co-host of a podcast, Advantage Connors, with his dad, Jimmy Connors. Uh, Brett, thanks so much for joining me today. Mike, how are you today? Good to see you. Doing good, man. Uh, as I mentioned to you before we started recording, this is a first for the podcast. It's the first time we've completed a father-son combo as we had your dad on last summer. So uh, thank you yeah. for uh, groundbreaking with us here on Matchpoint Canada. Right, breaking the mold. Uh, he, yeah, he told me he had a good time with you guys and, uh, and had some fun. So I figured I'd uh, come on and talk some tennis and some life and, and see how it is. That sounds great. Uh, why don't we start with what you and me have been going back and forth with a little bit this week uh, in our in our DMs, which is talking about Bianca Andreescu, um, who has had such a, a stellar week at the Miami Open, making mm-hmm. the finals, unfortunately, uh, falling short due to injury against Ash Barty. Uh, you sent me so many messages this week about her. What is it in particular that you've enjoyed watching from our, our 20-year-old Canadian star? Um, yeah, it's, it's been a bummer that she's been hurt, you know, like broke on the scene a couple years ago, you know, uh, almost unbeatable there at the end of the summer. Um, I just like that she has variety. I think the one thing about the WTA tour, I mean, both tours really, but on the WTA is like a lot of the players kind of have one style, you know, and they play that style like really, really well. But uh, with Andrescu, like she has like, I feel like she has an A, an a plan, plan A, plan B, you know, plan, plan C, C or D. D. Yeah. Yeah. It keeps going, you know, and I never feel like she's out of it in, in any match. You know, she goes down the set and that's almost like, you know, she'll get that back. But, uh, you know, I think it finally caught up with her a little bit today. I thought maybe having the day off to recover because she's had some three setters would maybe help her. But Barty was too strong and interesting matchup because they're probably the two players on the tour who have the most variety. Well said. Um you, you tweeted out the other day that Bianca is by far your favorite tennis player to bet on. And yeah. um, you, you did try and get the inside track from me a couple of times this week. And I, al- I always feel super cautious when people are asking me, hey, what do you think about this match? Because I don't want to influence anybody and then, you know, be held accountable later if things don't, yeah. don't work out. Why is she your favorite player when it comes to, uh, to that aspect of the sport? 
Uh, I just, I mean, like I said, she's never out of it, you know? So from that, from that standpoint, you know, you can always count on her to at least give full effort. You know, some other players might get down a set or something goes, a bad call goes against them or something. They might use that as an excuse to like, you know, mail it in. But I feel I never get that feeling with her. She does some of the gamesmanship stuff and the, and the um, injury stuff that some people don't like. But if you're betting on her and she does that and it works out, she can do that all she wants, you know? So yeah, I just like her. She was an underdog. I think they undervalued her because she's been out. She's been hurt. So she doesn't have any, you know, a lot of matches to go off of. So she was, uh, you know, probably a little bit more of a dog than she should have been. So that was fun. And then uh, she's a great live bet, you know? So if the match starts and it gets going and she gets down a set, you know, you didn't like her because she was a favorite before, or, you know, it was was even, you didn't have a feel. She gets down a set. They're going to make her, you know, plus two or 300 or whatever it is. And there's a lot of value in her because she's got a great record coming back in three sets. Yeah. She definitely never pays attention to what other people are saying for her, those swings in the match. That's just her continuing to fight on. Um, You know, your podcast with your dad advantage Connors, it's not just a tennis podcast, of course. And, and you guys do discuss gambling quite a bit. Um, For some people that's a slippery slope. It's certainly something I stay away from because my wife would kick my butt, but uh, (laughs) What place does it play in your life and, and what role do you see gambling and, and betting, sports betting, filling in, in the tennis world that seems like more and more of a sort of prevalent topic these days? Yeah, um, I mean, I think it has a huge future. I know that in tennis in the past, you bring up gambling and your mind, you know, automatically goes, you know, match fixing, you know, or something like that, or, you know, score fixing or something like that, you know, which is always obviously something that is a possibility. But I feel like when is it more possible when it's talked about in the shadows and, you know, no one says anything about it or, you know, if we bring it, you know, into the foreground and, you know, let everyone see it and, you know, maybe regulate it and, you know, let the sponsors get tied in with the tournaments and all that stuff. It becomes too big to for it to be as shady, you know, you know, if somebody you think is tanking and there's sponsors and, and gambling's involved and it's part of the narrative, they might say it on the broadcast, you know you know, somebody goes out there and they start you know, tanking it. You'd be like, geez, did he bet on the other side? <laughs> mm-hmm. So I don't know. It's, it's been slow. Tennis has probably been one of the slowest sports to adapt to it. It's a huge revenue stream. That's like untapped. That's just sitting there waiting to be, you know, brought in with the fantasy sports or the live betting. So, I mean, I like it. I've grown up around my pops. If you, if you know him at all, he was a pretty big gambler. I mean, our family is from East St. Louis and, a lot of gambling roots and everything back there. So, and uh, he was also part of a company called Argosy Gaming that uh, started one of the first river boats in 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 America back in the '90s. So, you know, gambling's always been part of my blood, and I enjoy doing it. And you know, I don't do it for a lot of money. It's more just to have, you know, something to look at. You know, when you're watching the match or some interest or, you know, a chance to make a couple bucks with a buddy. You know, that kind of stuff. But. I think it's definitely, uh, you know, it's the future and, and to deny that is just to delay it. You know? Right. Uh, hey, let's transition to the podcast, which aside from uh, gambling and, and tennis, you guys really run the gamut. I, I enjoyed hearing about, um, you know, it was on a sad note, but Marvin Hagler in your most recent episode, because my dad and I uh, were big boxing fans. I remember watching a lot of boxing with him as a kid, including a lot of Hagler uh, matches, one of the all time greats. So I like mm-hmm. that diversity you have on the podcast and, and advantage Connors. I mean, love the name because that just screams Jimmy Connors right there. Doesn't it? That seems like his motto through his, his whole career for your old man. Uh, when did you and your dad come up with the concept and, uh, and, and how would you look back on your first year of the podcast and sort of assess how things went? Um, yeah, we just, uh, I, I can remember growing up and I would hear my dad on the phone with, you know, his buddies, Eddie Dibbs, uh, guys like that. And they would be talking tennis or sports or gambling or whatever it was. And I would always hear him say like, you know, we should have our own radio show. You know, we should have our own show. You know, they should be all listening to all of this. <laughs> and so when I got older and, and, you know, got into production and everything, I've always kind of had in the back of my head to do some sort of project with him, you know, what that would be. I didn't know. And, and we were just sitting around last, like a year, pretty much a year ago during uh, uh, Australian Open. And we were just sitting there. I was like, I downloaded this app on my phone, you, you know, let you record it and you can make a, a podcast out of it. And, you know, 10 minutes, it's pretty easy. You know, do you want to sit down and, and talk the, uh, it was the Australian Open Finals, you know, team versus Djokovic, I think. 
let's talk it for 15 minutes and then try it. And so we did and, you know, just put it out and then we did another one and then, you know, we're like, Hey, you know, maybe we should get some guests. Let's we'll see who we can get. And our first guest you know, happened to be Mike Tyson because we were down in Indian Wells. That's, that's not a bad start, by the way, let me say. Yeah. yeah it's a tough one. Like, where do you go from there? Right. right. You know, like one of the best guests probably possible, but, um, and we happened to be in Indian Wells. He was there before they shut down everything last year. So he came on with us and was great. And we just, you know, just kind of started doing it as something to do almost kind of just to hang out because COVID had shut everything down and, Right. And he's in Santa Barbara. I'm in LA. So we were doing a few, you know, four or five of them over the phone before everything, you know, we, we knew what was going on really. And it was just a way to like stay in touch and talk and I'll send them, you know, Hey, check out this article. Do you want to talk about, you know, NFTs? You know, he's like, well, what's that? You know? So I have to, we talk for 20 minutes on the phone about it and it's just been fun. You know, it's not, uh, we're not doing it trying to make a million dollars out of it. It's, it's, you know, we like to talk to some tennis, but he's not a huge tennis consumer as much as, as probably people think he is. So, you know, he can talk a little old school and I can talk some of the, you know, new school stuff. Cause I work, you know, work in the game today and, and we have fun, you know, it's, it's, it's fun to hang out and, and hang out with pops. It definitely meshes well. And I can relate to that. My dad and I have a super tight relationship. Uh, that being said, I don't know if I could handle or if he could handle doing a podcast together. And, and most people maybe couldn't handle doing something like that with their parents, but you and your dad obviously have a really tight relationship. Um, you know, it seems at, at, on one side, it's like a father-son project, but on the other, it comes across as, as two buddies coming together as well. And, you know, just maybe talk about for a moment that relationship with, with your dad that kind of progressed over the years of you being a, a kid following him on the tour and, and going around to tournaments, which is quite the upbringing, I must, uh, I must say. Yeah, it was. You know, I, I get people ask me about that. And when I was young, I didn't, think it's any different you know like it's just my dad and like he, we have to go to this tennis thing because that's his job you know <laughs> only when I got older did I realize like how lucky I really was and you know looking back how much stuff I did before the age of 10 you know compared to like the last 30 years you know right, right. <laughs> stuff like that so um but yeah my relationship with him uh, I, he always would say um you know he's my son but uh, he's also my friend you know, I always remember him saying that, that, you know, he was strict with me on stuff and, and, and a father when he needed to be. But then, you know, when we're traveling for three straight months in the summer, going to play exhibitions and tournaments and senior events and golf and all that stuff, it's, it's more like your buddy. So, you know, I was lucky and, and uh, you know, my sister too, she's a little younger than me. I was, because he played so long, I was able to actually be alive, uh, you know, and remember enough of it. It's so. funny because my early tennis memories are sitting on the couch with my old man watching uh, McEnroe and, and Connors matches towards the tail end of their career. Uh, I'm 40 now. So, you know, I was about uh, nine or 10 years old as they were wrapping things up and, uh, and just such strong, vivid memories of that. And that's what hooked me on the sport is, is those kind of personalities. Uh, you work in tennis. Now you see the, 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 the group that we've got in front of us on the ATP WTA how do you feel like this era compares in some ways to the compelling storylines that were there when, when you were young watching your dad play? Uh, I think it, there's a lot of similarities in some ways because, you know, kind of the three, the big three with, you know, obviously Murray too, but Djokovic and, and Fed and Nadal, they're going to be kind of talked about now forever in that group. You know, you're going to say those three guys together. And, and you know, when you talk about the 70s and the 80s, you talk about, you know, Borg, McEnroe and Connors. So I see a lot of similarities like that. Um, you know, the 70s were different. It was kind of like my dad says, a wild west. You know, nothing was like regulated and, you know, uh, the line calls. You know, now with the, the new Hawkeye, when there's an out call, they can challenge it. But what are they challenging? Like they're they, just challenging. They just get to see it. That's it. Yeah, they just see it. So they've taken out any any sort of like inch of room for any sort of like conflict, you know, or any sort of you know, negative sort of thing that can go wrong, I guess they would say. But, um, you know, I, I think they're a lot alike, you know, but the guys today are ridiculous with the amount of slams and, uh, and titles compared to, to, to those guys back then. But I think uh, today it's a little different because everyone is like friends. You know, there's so much money in the sport now that any sort of like conflict you would maybe have between each other is so trivial in the scope of how much money and everything they can probably make that you know 
everyone gets along. And I there's think not, there's, there's not a lot of animosity out there, is there? There's not a lot of room for it, you know, because like, you know, everyone's eating, you know, <laughs> at least the, the top, top guys. And I think back in their day, they were fighting for that dollar. You know, they were fighting to be the one match for the week that would be on NBC on Sunday or, you know, like it was, you know, the, that the other guy was trying to take your your money, your meal off your plate a little bit. Right. Obviously, it's tennis and it's professional sports. So that's being a little dramatic. But uh, I think that's what a little bit of the difference I would say is, is, you know, people always talk, does your dad like this guy or that? Do they really hate each other? And it's I don't think it's like it was never hate. It was just a super competitive thing. We're like, you know, Mac, seven years younger, a lefty American with Irish background. He's coming for something of mine. You know, I'm that guy. <laughs> so I just think it's just super competitiveness and. Yeah, it's just a little different today. What was it like for you? I mean, you grew up the son of a, a tennis icon, obviously. And uh, what was your uh, relationship with tennis like as a kid? Did you play? Did you play tournaments? Did you have any aspirations yourself of ever making a, a career or, or anything like that with the sport? Uh, I played it. Yeah, I played till I was like 14. Um, I played junior stuff and I would always, you know, hit balls on, you know, when I would go on tour with pops and, you know, with the other players and team tennis and and stuff like that. Um, I didn't have a great relationship with it. It started to annoy me a little bit. Like it would bother me. You know, I, I guess I didn't understand how to just deal with it when people would try and you know like are you going to play tennis like your father or you you look like your fate your yeah, father you must have got that all the time yeah i mean because i mean because of course i'm his kid and and all that stuff people are going to say that but i i took it as like they were not seeing me or something you know like they were you know imposing his his aspirations onto me and all these things onto me and and like you know i didn't want to do that and so i think i played tennis for a while because I was pretty good at it and I liked doing it. But then I fell in love with golf when I was about, you know, 10, 11 years old, started taking lessons, got a, you know, used set of clubs and, uh, you know, just fell in love with that and actually eventually became better at it. And so I played a couple, you know, I played tennis golf one year of high school. And then after that, I just played golf. So how about today? You get up there and hit a few balls uh, at all? A little bit. Once in a while, I'll go with my girlfriend. We, we go hit sometimes or some courts up the street or uh, I, even with the old man, I'll go and hit and you know, with his uh, with his creaky hips and uh, <laughs> try not to run him too much and let him run me around. But um, yeah, I mean, I love I love tennis now. Like my relationship with it is, you know, I, it's what I do for a living. It's, you know, everything I have in my life is because of tennis and what my dad and my grandmother, have, you know, passed down on and and I'm grateful for that. So, uh, you know, I love covering it and watching it. And it's a lot of fun. I'm picturing you and your dad out there with with two. What were they? The T2000 rackets? You know, those. Yeah. Old, that's what I'm picturing in my head as I watch you and your your dad. Imagine you guys playing with each other on the on the right. tennis yeah. court. Yeah, um, just like owning me with, a, you know, 50 year old technology still. <laughs> so, hey, even though, a, a, you know, a, a pro tennis career, you know, wasn't for you, you did find involvement in the sport and you did choose to pursue a a relationship with the sport in a professional capacity. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about what it is you do in tennis and, uh, and what you get out of that? Yeah, man, I'm, uh, I work in the live production side of it. So um, uh, I work in the control room with, with all the, uh, with, with the crew. I'm a tape producer, which means I work with a, an editor called an EVS editor and we cut together all the highlights and we're pretty much responsible for any video elements that you see during the, during the broadcast. So, you know, highlight packages or, you know, the teases and the bumps that are put on air, we play those, you know, we organize all that stuff. Um, Like if we do, we usually do like a 30 minute or an hour long post game pregame show, you know, we'll build that out with the other producers uh, upstairs. And, you know, it's a lot of fun, man. You get to travel and, you know, pretty much get paid to watch sports, which is, you know, don't tell anyone. (laughs) It's pretty awesome. it's It's about as good as it gets. Yeah. I guess during the pandemic, you're not going to as many tournaments live and doing more work remotely from uh, from where you are in California. Yeah, definitely. The last year we haven't. I think we went to two tournaments. We went to uh, uh, the French and I think um, we had a few people at the U.S. Open, but not that many. So I went to the U.S. Open and I, I worked the French from here. So 
looking forward to getting back to regular business soon, like we all are, I'm sure. And uh, totally, totally. Sort of related to what you do, but uh, I've been watching on Netflix lately. I've been getting into this F1 series that's on there that's showing all the behind the scenes. And, you know, I yeah. watched Formula One a bit when I was a teenager and then kind of forgot about it. And this has got me right back in that sort of mentality because it's yeah. showing you all the personalities. It's taking you behind the scenes. You see all the drama that's going on between the different, you know, car companies. And I'm thinking, man, wouldn't this be something great for tennis to adopt and show us the behind the scenes of the ATP, of the WTA, uh, let fans know what those personalities are. And, and especially with people like Serena and the big three who are going to retire at some point, let mm-hmm. fans, you know, introduce fans, casual fans or people that haven't been hooked on the sport yet to the next wave of tennis players that are coming up. You know, given your background and the work you do, do you think that something like that would, would be a hit for the, the tennis world? For sure. I mean, uh, yeah, I think that'd be awesome. I think the thing, I mean, we were tennis channels doing something now with uh, Sissipas where he does kind of like a blog, you know, diary sort of thing on tour. But the thing is, is tennis is tough because you need all that access and then people have to like sign off on like what you see, you know? So like, if you see, if they let you film everything, but then they have final say, then like, you know, it might just be super vanilla, like controlled. Hundreds of individual players rather than just a few, you know, F1 teams, for example, I guess. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, it just depends how much they're willing to like give, you know, show the world because so it's difficult too, because so many players are from different countries, their first language is other languages. And, you know, do you want to let in like an English speaking crew if you're, you know, Spanish and, you know, like, you know, all that kind of stuff. So it's just hard to juggle because it's so many different, you know, people and, and, and the privacy issue is tough, you know, because the best stuff is the stuff they probably don't want to show you. That's that's always true. (laughs) I I guess because I'm stuck at home during the pandemic, I just want to see all the stuff I'm missing out there on the tour. You know, it's a, but it would be entertaining for sure. And um, Hey, look, Brett, Thank you so much for taking some time with us on Matchpoint Canada today. Um, it was great talking to your dad last summer, and I really appreciate you helping uh, hook that up for us. It's for sure. been great having you on today as well to, to talk about what you guys do on the podcast. And again, if you haven't checked out Advantage Connors, you got to do it. It's fantastic stuff. And just, again, you can't replicate a, a bond like father and son like you guys do. And, and it's just so genuine. So keep doing the great stuff you're doing. Look forward to having you and your pops on again soon. And, uh, and as I heard in your last episode, your mom's going through a, a knee surgery right now. So all the best to her and in, in her recovery yeah. from that too. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. She's doing good. I talked to her yesterday. She's uh, she's like slow, slowly going through all the, uh, you know, rehab and all that stuff, but she's good, man. Thank you so much for having us on. I love being on and uh, appreciate it. And uh, look forward to talking to you guys soon. Thanks, Brad. There you have it. Uh, Mike's conversation with Brett Connors, co-host of the Advantage Connors podcast. And uh, he also does work, as uh, I understand, for for Tennis Channel and is kind of behind the production side, creating all the sweet highlights. And uh, I enjoy the conversation about sort of betting. And that's very true in terms of Bianca. And we, we saw it kind of live this past week in Miami when she is down in a match. I, I can only imagine the odds kind of swinging in Mukuruda's favor, swinging in Sakari's uh, favor at certain times. And I also liked uh, just touching on the fact of his childhood growing up around a superstar like Jimmy Connors, like what that must have been like, what the kind of assumption to, to his life would probably come with that, you know, all the questions surrounding that. So that was very interesting as well. And he got to enjoy it because obviously Jimmy played until his late 30s, early 40s. That's right. And so, you know, Brett was about 10, 11 years old. Um, when his dad finally did retire, maybe 12 years old when his dad did retire. So he got to enjoy being brought along on the tour. And when I read Jimmy's book, his autobiography called The Outsider, which is a super interesting read, by the way, uh, he mentions how right from the get-go when Brett was born, him and his wife decided, hey, we want to stay together as a family. He didn't want to be on the road on his own. And so, you know, baby Brett was brought along uh, to all these stops on the ATP tour and then when he was a little bit older, he got to enjoy that. And, and obviously he's got the memories from those days, which is, which is really cool. Um, but a lot of pressure when you're growing up also. Absolutely. The son of someone that legendary, that famous. Um, and, you know, Jimmy rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. I think we can say that openly. And, and he'd agree with that as well. Uh, you know, there are probably a lot of people when you're playing them in junior tennis tournaments as a kid, you know, which Brett did play tennis at, at a young age that are probably chirping you pretty hard and you're getting a lot of, you know, being heckled from the crowd and stuff like that. Even Mm -hmm. as a kid, I can't imagine what that kind of, 
negative pressure must have felt like for him to carry with him. Yeah, yeah, uh, no doubt. It sounds like he enjoys the golf course a little more uh, than tennis, which is which is totally fair. I was uh, also just interested listening to the Bianca Andrescu conversation and uh, the word gamesmanship coming up. And I, I have heard this kind of mentioned in circles. It made me think going back to 2019, 2019 and <laughs> Indian Wells and uh, Angie Kerber referring to Bianca as a drama queen, which uh, Andrescu, credit to her, she did not reply to at the net. She just kind of carried on uh, about her way, but uh, she was called such a drama queen. And terms of gamesmanship, just wondering where that word kind of comes from in terms of the Miami Open. She did have the MTO against Amanda Anisimova kind of treated the back. But then I thought to myself, well, Anisimova had about, you know, 10 minutes plus worth of time for a medical timeout as well. So I don't, don't know if that necessarily qualifies. I mean, I know for me, I complained about Krejcikova taking a long bathroom break against Muguruza in a final a few weeks ago. Yeah, we can um, complain about the non-Canadians. That's cool. Right? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's right. That's right. Um, look, but you know what? Like, honestly, just to touch on this, even before Brett mentioned it to me, I kind of wondered as I was watching this week a few times, just with the, the come-ons, you know, that she yeah. threw out there at certain times, mm-hmm. including sometimes when an opponent would, you know, make an error or what have you. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, if I was on the other side of the net, I got to be honest, that would rub me the wrong way. Right. Uh, again, I don't think she's intending to be disrespectful. Nope. And, and that's because, you know, you and me know Bianca so well. We've talked to her for, you know, many years that I don't, that's not the vibe I get from her. I, I think it's more of a, a competition type thing but I can see how that could come across as gamesmanship. And, and I know our target market of listeners is probably like, ah, what are you talking about, Bianca? You know, she can't do any wrong, but I could see how people would, uh, would make that claim. Yeah, yeah, I can, uh, I can understand it as well. You are listening to Matchpoint Canada, the official podcast of Tennis Canada. We're also members of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. And we should take a look back, obviously, at what transpired on the ATP side, another Masters 1000 in the books there. Certainly not the final we expected, but two fantastic players in their own right. Yannick Sinner getting to the final and uh, Hubert Hurkacz capturing the title, defeating Sinner 7-6, Six four. He, uh, you know, I, I think initially through the first week of the tournament, I had labeled him the Canadian killer because first he took out Chapovalov, then he beat Milos Raonic. But what an unbelievable tournament for him! He followed that up. He beat Tsitsipas, um, rallying for a three-set win there. Then takes out Andre Rublev, one of the hottest hardcore players in the world, and finally finishes off the phenom Yannick Sinner in straight sets uh, for his first Masters 1000 title. He's uh, having kind of like this sneaky great season because uh, he kind of bowed out early at the Australian Open. We forgot he won the Delray Beach Open at the front end of the year. So that's two titles on the year now in 2021 and uh, an impressive career already building for this young Polish star. Yeah, I got to say, it's kind of refreshing not to have to talk about the big three. And I mean, yeah. I still want them around and I'm looking forward to a lot more talk <laughs> about them and how they right. interact with this other group of tennis players. And when I say other group, I mean like the other 97 players in the top 100 of the sport, but uh, a really a welcome sight. And, uh, you know, I was reading Steve Tignor's article at, at tennis.com sort of mentioning how the women's tour and the men's tour in Miami kind of flipped the script where it was, you know, Bianca and Ash Barty, the two slam champs and the two of the top players on the women's tour that delivered. Whereas on the men's side, it was kind of like this disarray, not knowing what to do without the big three there. And it was two names that you probably didn't pick to make, uh, you know, all the way to the finals of a Masters 1000 quite yet. So I enjoyed that, um, you know, that, that differential there, that, that fresh faces. And this should be a welcome site. I was thinking this should be a really welcome site to other ATP players seeing these two have a great run like this and saying, Hey, if you know, Hubert Hercatch can do this. And I mean, no disrespect to him when I say this, but I could be doing this too, you know, guys like Dennis and Felix, why am I not winning, you know, in these moments as well. And hopefully that should push them and give them added confidence to have a similar moment down the road. Yeah, exactly. Look, I think uh, right now the separation between the top 100, top 50, top 30 of these guys, I I still think there's an obvious separation between our big three, certainly when we get to the Grand Slams comparatively to everybody else. But the separation on the tour between a few of these players is very, very, very small. And um, 
perhaps this one will be looked at as a missed opportunity for Danil Medvedev. You're thinking, okay, he has a great opportunity to pick up more points and maybe close in on that number one ranking. He, le- he loses to Roberto Bautista Agut. Uh, Sinner defeats him then. And, and Hubert Hurkacz, you know, normally when a player like that wins a Masters 1000, like, well, did they take advantage of a lighter draw? He beat oh, no, two, he beat some awesome players. Two top 10 players. Milos Raonic on a hard court early in the season. Very, very dangerous. And Denis Shapovalov, of course, who I, I thought would have a potential for a deep run here. And uh, it, it didn't happen. But uh, a bit of a nice reprieve, I, I would say, seeing him lose the eventual winner. Because obviously it was, it was an amazing week. And I think Polish tennis has been looking for superstars. And they had one breakout last year with Iga Swiatek winning the French Open. And now maybe they have their, their male player as well. Yeah, it's not the red and white flag that I want to see winning trophies. You know, no offense <laughs> to Poland. But yeah. <laughs> Um, and, and then we should also talk about, you know, another country, which is Italy with uh, Yannick, Yannick Sinner and only 19 years old. There's been so much hype around this guy for the last couple of years. It really reminds me of the hype around Felix Auger-Aliassime. Felix, who is a little bit older and had so much of that hype from such a young age. And people have been talking about Sinner as being the me- next big thing for quite some time as well. And he's delivering. I mean, we saw him back in the fall capture his first title at the expense, unfortunately, of Vashik Pospisil. Um, And there's going to be many, many more. Uh, This kid is something special. And with us transitioning to Clay, we're going to continue to see that out of him because he took out David Gaffin and he took out Zverev at the French Open back in, you know, September, early October. He even pushed Nadal to a tie break in the first set of their quarterfinal match at Roland Garros. Uh, I think Yannick Sinner should be looked at now as a threat in any tournament he enters after what he showed us this past week. Yeah, he's he's unbelievable. Um, one thing that's so impressive about him, especially he's not even 20 years old yet, is I don't, I don't see a weakness at all from the baseline. Like the forehand and backhand wing almost look evenly powerful. It's it's so impressive. And then Artie, he has these amazing hands, great, fantastic agility and, and court coverage. Um, he's very efficient at that and he serves well. And it, it's interesting you make the comparable to Felix Ojeda-Aliassime because in the live rankings and Yannick Sinner is going to move up to 22 in the world, which is a new career high. Felix Ojeda-Aliassime is 21st in the world. So just one spot now separating them in the rankings and one year separating them in age. And and maybe we see this breakthrough from Yannick Sinner and making a final here of of Masters 1000. We think, why can't Felix do this yet? Um, And I I don't really want that to be the conversation. Uh, I, I think Sinner has just been an unbelievable player in his own right. I have the belief Felix is going to get there to the next stage, the next level, which for me is like top 15 cusp of top 10. And uh, Sinner's just development, though, over the past, you know, six plus months has been like absolutely incredible. And it's got me super pumped, not just Sinner, but just the way this tournament in Miami went. It's got me super pumped for what the ATP has in store for us this year. Yeah. Clearly, Nadal is going to be the, the, the talk of the town with uh, the French Open looming next month. Um, but, but beyond that, who knows what to expect? I think it's going to be a roller coaster year on the ATP. Uh, a lot of surprises, a lot of first-time winners and winners that perhaps we haven't seen at the Masters 1000 level and maybe even the slam level as well. And, uh, and I'm good for that, and I think a lot of people are as well. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And uh, I, I do have questions, some questions about like players like Dominic Team, who who bowed out kind of early in the last the last tournament he played and now he's pulled out of Monte Carlo. So I'm a little curious about his health that we kind of think like who's the biggest threat on Clayton Adal and we say Djokovic and team. Well, maybe it's not going to be team this time. Maybe it's some of these new faces sort of emerging and in front of our eyes playing awesome tennis. Obviously, we'll have to uh, wait and see uh, for that. In terms of just looking ahead for this week, ATP really quiet, just two events. I should mention we had the Andalusia Open in Spain, and uh, Steven Diaz won his first qualifying match there, beating, beating a very good player in Peter Goyewicz in straight sets, so, so good for him. I think he's an impressive threat on clay. Of course, we recall we spoke to him last year after he qualified for his first uh, main draw of a Grand Slam ever. It would be amazing if we could see him again in the French Open. Yeah, and Diaz, I mean, he plays well on all sorts of surfaces. Super nice guy, grinded it out for a lot of years, not having that breakthrough moment of getting into a a slam main draw. So, you know, kudos to him. 
And, uh, and I think our talk with him last year, a lot of people found that really interesting because sort of a quiet guy, you don't see him speaking out in the press all that often. Mm -hmm. And it was a good opportunity for us to get to know him and, and for listeners as well. So, uh, you know, Stephen Diaz, keep doing what, what you're doing. And uh, on the women's side, we had two Canadians in qualies of the uh, Volvo car open. Uh, Gabby Dabrowski trying in singles again, unfortunately fell in uh, the round one of uh, qualifying. And Catherine Sebov, a name that we haven't heard too much of the last year, uh, she made it to the second round of qualies, but unfortunately uh, did not make it into the main draw. Yeah, I think she's been mainly kind of playing the ITF circuit. We should give a shout out to Ottawa's Gabby Dabrowski that she had a nice tournament as well in Miami making the semifinals and nearly made that final going out, I believe, 10-8 in the yes. super tiebreaker in the semifinal with uh, another partner she's been trying out over the past few tournaments, uh, Jul Juliana Almost. So uh, perhaps that's a new partnership that can work. Uh, we Ju have Juliana seen... Almost, by the way. So Juliana Almost is uh, becoming like the, the go-to partner for Canadians because that's who Sharon Fishman partnered with that's right. this season. And they made yep. the uh, quarters of the Aussie Open. That's right. That's right. So there seems to be a nice connection uh, with her and Canadian players seem to produce quality tennis. So that's uh, nice to see. Um, yeah, for me, the exciting draw this week is on the WTA side with the, the Volvo car open in Charleston. It is on green clay. So it is the official start for me for the clay court season. And I was impressed, but Granted, she is already in the States. Ash Barty is making the turnaround from a, a victory in Miami, and she's going to be the world number one here in the top seed. She does get a first round bye. Sophia Cannon, the number two seed. It's been a slow start to the season for her, so we'll see what she can do here. And then uh, we had a few withdrawals. Osaka's not there. Simona Halep is not there. But some top players, Belinda Bencic, Garbina Muguruza there, Petra Kvitova as well. We didn't get an event last year. Madison Keys actually won it in 2019. I think it's a pretty open field, but I, I'm curious to see how Barty plays coming off a big big title yeah i mean at least she's got a little bit of rest before that first match and uh, i mean for some of those players you just mentioned if you were already in the u.s to play in miami you might as well stick around and play one more before you head back over to europe yeah yeah i completely agree uh genie bouchard did pull out of this tournament but uh Layla fernandez will be back in action and she has her first round match scheduled she'll take on uh zhang shui uh, of china in the first round so we'll see how she fares here on the clay and hope that works out and I, i'm sure she's going to be an important piece for canada at the billy jean king cup Bianca Andreescu won't be there, unfortunately, but that is coming up in uh, just under two weeks. We should mention before we wrap that we're excited at least next week to kind of debut an exciting giveaway for fans. And we don't want to tell you exactly what it is. <laughs> it's going to be a teaser. It's going to keep you wanting more, but it is a big one. Uh, dare I say the biggest giveaway we've ever had in our time as Matchpoint Canada. And uh, all we can say for now is that Roger Federer fans, you're going to want to check in with us next week because this one's for you. That's a good enough prelude for me. You've been listening to Matchpoint Canada. We will talk to you next time. They say you got a boy.